Glad to have our travelers back, and uh, it's just good to see all of you this morning. This is our first worship service of this year. Um, if you don't count Wednesday, uh, it's the first time we've gathered on Sunday for this year, and uh, I look forward to the year ahead, and I, I know that you do too. Our lesson for this morning begins a brand new series, and uh, the series is based on an old spiritual sword book. I have several of them. And sometimes I go back to those and, and refer to them for sermons. And so I've chosen for this month, Facing the Future. And there are many questions and many concerns that we have in regard to facing the future. And how do we face the future as Christians? How are we to, to look at what is ahead of us? In looking to the future... It is good for us to remember that there are some things that change. Change in many ways is inevitable. Whether we like it or not, things will change. Things change in our own lives. We, we have different things that, that change as far as our job situation, maybe you're retired. Uh, things change in regard to life. In relationships and things of that nature, there are many things that change. There are things in the world around us that change also. I don't think that any of us would, would bat an eye to hear that, that things in our world have changed. The way that people view things, the way that people believe, uh, the way that people act. Our world has changed greatly in just the last few years. And sometimes things change within the church and uh, maybe in a congregation and, and those things are not necessarily uh, bad in and of themselves. Uh, sometimes we change the building, sometimes we add to it or we renovate and things of that nature. Uh, there are many things that, that change among us as people. Uh, we're to grow, we're to be better and stronger spiritually speaking than what we have been things change. But then we also need to recognize in knowing that things do change that there are also some things that should never change. Sometimes things in our life shouldn't change. We shouldn't go backwards. We should always move forwards. And in the church there are certain things that should never change. When it comes to the way that we worship when it comes to our practices and, and the, the, the things that we do as far as serving God, when it comes to the Bible, those things should never change. We should never turn away from serving God and following His Word. Now, preparing for the future assumes that there will be a future. And though our future on earth is not promised beyond even this moment, and we're not promised to leave this building this morning, but even so, we should prepare ourselves in such a way that we are ready for the future. Whether our future be on earth, or whether our future be in eternity, we need to prepare ourselves for the future. Jesus promised us that He would return to receive those who faithfully follow Him. 
I hope that we are preparing ourselves for His coming. We begin today, our first point is the exciting future. And the future is exciting. And we should see it as exciting. I think maybe all of us, we get excited to see a new year. And if you're like me, it's an opportunity to put the past behind you. To put the year that, that you have lived, whether it be good or bad, you put it behind you and you can be excited in looking to the future. So the future is very exciting and it should be to us. Although the Word of God itself never changes in its relation to us as Christians, the means by which the gospel is carried has changed considerably in a very good way. Finding new ways to share the gospel message with the world should bring excitement to our Christian service. We have things such as technology, television, radio, internet. These are all good ways of spreading the gospel if we use them in the right way. And it should be remembered, however, that the same technology that is used to spread the gospel may also be used to spread the opposite error, hatred, the bad news of the world. So we have to keep that in perspective as well. But there are many great things that change as far as the future uh, is concerned and have changed in our past as well. Seeing young Christians faithfully serving the Lord and seeing children being brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, that's something that's very exciting to all of us. Uh, whenever we go to the Friday night singings, I know every so often uh, you'll have a young boy that will get up there and lead a song. And, and everybody gets excited about that to see a younger generation in, going in the right direction. The children that we raise today in Christ will one day lead the church. And as important as it is to prepare them for the future, it is just as important to prepare them for the present. And sometimes we have a tendency to look at the at, uh, younger generation as the future of the church, and they are, but they're also the present of the church to some degree as well. The new year brings another opportunity for a new beginning in our Christian walk. It is an opportunity to renew our excitement in serving God and Christ. It is an opportunity for us to resolve to be better Christians in the future than we have been in the past. The future can be very exciting and we should see it as very exciting in that regard. But we should also recognize the challenging future as well. Though we have a very exciting future ahead of us, it can be a very challenging one also. As I mentioned a moment ago, the, the technology that we have it gives us a great opportunity to spread the gospel with a great many people. But it also gives greater opportunity for other things as well. It gives us opportunity to allow the world into our lives. We look at television and internet. They have become platforms for promoting things such as premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, violence, divorce, pornography, the abuse of drugs and alcohol. These things are readily seen in our television shows and movies and 
things of that nature. And they've become commonplace to some degree to us as well. And all of these are in opposition to the principles of Christianity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 6 and beginning with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The very sinful practices that will keep us from inheriting inheriting the kingdom of God if we participate in them have also been very normalized in today's culture because of how they are portrayed. We see this on a regular basis and, and it has changed our worldview to some degree and that creates a, a challenge for us as Christians. The technology that helps us do many great things in the spreading of the gospel also creates a challenge to us. Determining how and how often to use such technology without becoming like the world? Should we abstain from using it completely or, or do we, we simply seek to use it in the right ways? Do we use it less? Do we use it more? That's a challenge for us. That's, that's something that we have to decide. As we look at, at the future, changes in philosophies and world, worldly views and values create a challenge for the church as well. We're not just challenged as far as our individual lives are concerned, but also from the standpoint of the church, we are challenged. The world's embrace of things such as homosexuality and transgenderism and and things of that nature have affected the church, whether we realize it or not, and whether they, I guess, readily you know, affect us as a congregation. Even if they don't, even if we don't see it within our congregation, we know that it's present in the church worldwide. In Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 we see that these are not new issues. These are very old issues. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Many denominations have appointed those who practice such evils to prominent leadership roles. The church is faced with the conflict of whether or not to marry those whom the Bible does not permit. We are challenged to choose how to love without accepting or promoting such behavior. And we should face those 
things with love. Whenever we see someone that is living in sin, we, we love, we, we care for them, we want them to turn away. But we cannot accept and we cannot condone what they practice. And so we're challenged in that regard. The world's promotion of divorce for any reason and the commonality of adultery. How do we support those that are involved? In the case of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, we have a, a great issue within the church on, on how to deal with that. We're told very clearly in Matthew 19 and verses 8 and 9, He said to them, Moses... Because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality or fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Many congregations are afraid to deal with this issue from a, a biblical standpoint. Uh, afraid of offending someone. We see that there are many congregations that have fallen under fire for making the right decision, basically. <laughs> These congregations would much rather allow couples in their midst who are living in sin than to tell them that they are living in sin. Accepting and condoning those things that God does not condone. In many respects, we as Christians have failed to separate ourselves from the world, causing many problems in the Lord's church. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul writes to the Romans and he says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And instead of avoiding this conformity that he addresses, we have done exactly what God has warned us not to do on many occasions. Not we personally maybe, but we as a whole. We have allowed ourselves to be conformed to the world instead of being transformed from it. The liberalism of many, the, the changes in the church that come from within. You know, we have changes that come from without. We, we see that the world has greatly affected the church and how we deal with things. But we also have to recognize that there are many changes that have come from within as well. While the world outside of the church has, has been affected, so have the views of the church's leaders and teachers. Many have fallen into the same trap of compromise and corruption that some of the churches of Asia are charged with. We just got through studying all those seven churches. And some of the same problems that they faced are the same problems that we face today. At the same rate of moral and spiritual deterioration continues, where will the church be in the next 50 years? Or maybe even less, how about the next 30 years? Maybe even in the next 10 years. Churches today must choose to stand on the Word of God. Not allowing the views and practices of others to affect our own moral and spiritual values. 
We must choose to be distinctively the church that God wants us to be. We're to be different than the world and different than, than anything that it defines. We are to be different as the Lord's church. We're not the church of, of people. We're not the church of, uh, of anything that the, the world might stand for. But we are the church of God. And we should see ourselves as just that. Now in recognizing that the future can be exciting. And in recognizing that the, the future also can be challenging. Let's look at the preparation of the church for the future. How do we as a congregation, how do we as the church prepare for the future ahead of us? Having a few things solidly in place will help us as the church to prepare for the future. Let's notice for the moment the value of a solid eldership. Elders are charged with the care of the flock of God. The church. In Acts 20 and verse 28, we read this. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. This is written to elders. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we read this. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The leadership of a congregation sets the tone, if you will, for them, giving them much needed direction and guidance. Without solid leadership, the way that, that God intended for it to be. The congregation really has no direction, but is merely trying to survive. Now I've seen that from a first-hand standpoint. I've worked with congregations with elders. I've worked with congregations without. And though the congregations without are very good congregations and are very sincere and, and do their very best, they're very limited in what they can do so, looking at the value of a, a solid eldership, one that is grounded in the truth and one that is ready to lead, we see that, that with that we have direction. We have a, a way in which to, to move forward. And that's something that we should value greatly. For a congregation to be fully effective, it needs a godly membership that is willing to follow the elders in whatever decisions that they make. And we begin that committal to 
the eldership and we place membership with the congregation. Uh, we are committing ourselves to the shepherd's care. And that's exactly what we are intended to do by God. Members are charged with submission to those who rule over you. As important as it is to have a godly eldership, uh, an eldership that stands firm in the Word, it is just as important to have a membership that supports them. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. We'll take it a moment ago. Hebrews 13 verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your soul. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, a congregation who is unwilling to follow the authority of its elders is really no better off than a congregation without elders in the first place. We have to be supportive of our shepherds. They have a great responsibility in guiding us in the right direction, in looking out for our souls. And when, when leaders face judgment, they're going to be facing it with that responsibility in mind. The welders are, are not given authority for making laws and ordinances for the congregation. They are given the authority to enforce the laws and regulations that are given to them through the word, through the doctrine of the apostles. Elders are ordained and appointed to their task by God himself, giving even more reason for us to submit to their authority. It's very important uh, in the beginning of the church. Uh, some of those were, were charged with going and, and establishing an eldership in every congregation. We think of Timothy and Titus who were given instructions as, as far as who elders were to be, who was qualified to serve as an elder in the church. But we see they have a great responsibility. We should support them. We should pray for them. We should offer them kind words and assistance in anything that, that they see a need of in the church. congregation of the Lord's church must remain steadfast in the word and the doctrine of the apostles. Much of this depends on the leadership of faithful elders. Elders with a, a binding or loosing attitude will lead the congregation in the wrong direction, away from the principles of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. As they lead the congregation and the congregation trusts them, the congregation will be led into either binding where the scriptures have not bound or loosing where the scriptures have not loosed. In order for a congregation to remain faithful, it is dependent on faithful leaders. Excuse me, I brought my water up here. To be grounded in the Word, the congregation must know the Word. They must understand the concept of binding and loosing and recognize the differences in our traditions. Some traditions are expedient ways of carrying out the command of God, such as service times and 
the means by which we share the gospel with the world. Some traditions we keep because we are commanded to keep them, such as baptism for the remission of sins and partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. We cannot bind on others our traditions of expedience, such as when we meet and, and others. And we cannot continue fellowship with the congregation who teaches baptism for any other reason than remission of sins. There are things that we could add to that list as well. But again, we must know the Word. Now how do we know the Word? How are we going to ground ourselves as individuals in the Word? To know the Word, we must study the Word and apply it properly. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Some translations use the word study. To present yourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We must recognize the authority of the word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. We must recognize the reason that this charge is given in the first place. Move on to the next chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 2 through 5. Paul here writes, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come and they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now notice the reason here that this charge is given to preach the word. There is going to be a time when there will be those who have itching ears. In other words, they want to hear something different than the truth that is presented to us in God's word. That they will not endure sound doctrine is the way that Paul puts it. They will find those who teach what they want to hear. And they will follow those that they want to hear. Regardless of whether they teach the truth or not. Again, I want to look at the charge of elders from the standpoint of Acts 20. We looked at verse 28 a moment ago, but let's look at the next couple of verses also. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this that after my departure savage wolves will come in 
among you. Not sparing the flock. How are they going to work? They're going to work from within. Verse 30, also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. You see, the charge that is given to elders to shepherd the flock, to shepherd the church of God, is given because of false teaching. And there is a great prevalence of those in the church even. That's where they work. There will be those who desire, whose desires to lead the congregation away from faithful service. And there will be those who will easily turn away from the truth. Recognizing these dangers, we are to remain grounded in the word to know the difference between the truth and the lie and to choose to follow the truth. Brother Kirk brought it out in, in one of his Bible classes several weeks ago now. But I remember him asking the question, how do we know the truth from counterfeit? And when you have a counterfeit bill, you know how they teach you to know the difference between a counterfeit bill and the real thing? It would be kind of pointless to point out every little detail that is wrong with the bill. That makes it a counterfeit bill. But in order to know the real thing from the fake, it's to know the real thing very, very well. You know the real bill, and you can tell when something has been changed to make it counterfeit. That's the same way with the truth. Whenever we have those that, that come among us that, that may teach some kind of false doctrine, we know it because we know the Word. And the way that we know the Word is by studying it for ourselves and making sure that we understand it and that we apply it correctly. Now, facing the future, the church faces an exciting future. I know that I, for one, am excited for the future of this congregation. I'm excited for the year ahead. I'm excited to be able to, to work with this congregation. We hope to grow. We hope to, to do those things that please God. And we should look forward to the future ahead of us. We also need to recognize the challenges of the future ahead of us. The challenges of, of remaining grounded in God's Word. The challenges of not being conformed to the world, but to be different. And I hope that we make that our priority in the coming year. To be different than even what we have been. But to be fully devoted to serving God. And in light of, of the challenges that we will face, we must prepare ourselves for whatever may stand before us, whether good or bad. Knowing what the future may hold for us helps to prepare ourselves for the struggles, the battles ahead of us. We are fighting a war, and we do face many battles. 
Some we win, some we don't. But we face them with God. And ultimately, we trust the leadership of God over His children and those He has given charge over. Who He has given charge over us. Our goal as Christians is to be prepared for the journey ahead of us so that we can be prepared on the day of judgment. Being prepared for judgment means that we are ready to receive the, our reward, a home that is prepared for us. I know that you've heard this quote, as I have many times, that heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. If we want to see eternity with God, then we have to prepare ourselves properly to do so. So as we close this lesson today, I ask you this question. Are you prepared for the future? There are many uncertainties in regard to the future. There are many things that we know and yet, for everything that, that we do know, there are probably at least two or three things that we don't know. Only God knows everything that is ahead of us. But we do know the, the types of things that we may face. And in that regard, are we prepared? Are we living our lives as Christians? Have we obeyed the gospel? Are you living life faithfully in God's service? Are you prepared for judgment? Are you prepared to stand before God? If we want to hear those words, well done good and faithful servant. We have to prepare ourselves in this life to face Him in judgment. Are you prepared for eternity? If you're not a Christian, if you need to obey the gospel, then we'd be glad to help you in that need. If you need to come back, if you need to re rededicate your life to Him, if you need to be restored, we would be glad to help you in that area as well. If you simply need prayers on your behalf, we'd be glad to pray with you and for you. If you have any need whatsoever, if there is any way we can help you at all, give us that opportunity. As together we stand and as we sing.